Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Monday edition of Seven Investing. Seven Investing Now. My name is Daniel Brooks Klein, but you can call me Dan. I'm joined today by two of my fellow lead advisors at Seven Investing, Max Chatsko and Steve Symington. Max, your first time on the program. Welcome. Thanks, Dan. Happy to be here, man. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about sort of what you cover and sort of what your investing style is? Yeah, so I cover living technology, I call it. So it's uh, anything that's biology-based, tend to focus mostly on biopharmaceuticals, but also industrial biotech. Then I cover a little bit of uh, renewable energy. So uh, I tend to be, I don't know. I don't know what my investing style is. I guess it's a little more conservative, if you can believe that, with development stage drug developers. But uh, I tend to go like bottom-up analysis, right? Try to understand opportunities really well and then uh, pick my spots. Max tends to submit companies I've absolutely <laughs> never heard of. Steve Symington joining us from, uh, where are you, rural Montana, something like that? <laughs> yes, sir. Northwest Montana. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll echo that. Matt talks about pretty much every company he mentions I've never heard of. And that's saying something because hundreds and hundreds of stocks on my radar. And, and uh, yeah, he's, it's pretty intriguing. Folks, we are happy to have you watching. At 7investing, our mission is to empower you to invest in your future. This show will cover the news of the day, but with a long-term perspective. With that, 7investors, let's take a look at what we have in store for you today. We're going to open up with the top story. That's the biggest story of the day in the financial world. That will be followed by What We're Watching, a segment in which we each bring a story that we're following today, offering our insight and analysis. Then we'll be playing True or False. I'll make a series of statements, and Max and Steve will tell me if they believe what I'm saying will turn out to be true or false then of course we'll hit you with our finisher with that the top story is prime day and holiday shopping guys merry christmas the holiday season has started or to be fair it starts tomorrow the walmart has already started its sale we've got the two-day amazon prime event 13th and the 14th of october if you're watching this on a replay target and best buy have what they're not calling prime day but that's what it is pretty much big retail is winning Steve, is this the holiday season, holiday shopping season where the rich get richer and struggling retailers get put out of their misery? Um, Yes and no. Uh, (laughs) If that's a fair answer, on one hand, I I guess we have to keep in mind that e-commerce or online sales, uh, they still only represent like 16% of all retail sales in the US. But that's also up from, I think it was 10% a year ago. So that trend is accelerating. And no doubt we'll see some of the struggling retailers go under this year. uh, But really, as the strongest players capitalize on their their relative weakness in the pandemic, um, I think we'll see some of the winners some surprising winners emerge from the rubble in the process. I mean, we'll see specialized e-commerce plays, not just your Amazons, but companies like Etsy or Shopify or network infrastructure plays even that help enable the rise of e-commerce in the first place. Uh, And that's really not to mention uh, the fact that a lot of retailers are latching on to Amazon success as third-party sellers. Now, keep in mind, third-party sellers on Amazon, mostly small and medium-sized businesses. And last I checked, they're usually responsible for over half of all the units sold on Amazon.com. So yes, the rich is you know, rich are getting richer in this case. But uh, Amazon said third-party seller services revenue is up 52% year-over-year last quarter to more than $18 billion. Uh, but they're really enriching smaller retail partners in the process too. Yeah, I think there will be some surprise winners. I'll, I'll, th- I'll throw one out. I think Dick's Sporting Goods has a real mm. chance to be a surprise winner. And it wouldn't shock me if there's someone we're not thinking about, if Coles or somebody is a big winner. That said, they're not going to be a big winner on the early part. It's really going to be the late part of the season. So, Max, Prime Day is usually Amazon's 
biggest shopping day of the year. They don't define that in dollars. They define that in transaction amount. Do you think it's going to be as big in the middle of October rather than in the middle of July? Well, Dan, I regret to inform you, I just canceled my Amazon Prime membership. So I will not be partaking in this year's Prime Day event. Blasphemy, Max. (laughs) You can cancel Amazon Prime? I thought that was like a condition of being American. (laughs) I know, and a millennial too, right? But I guess not. I mean, as for the rest of America, though, I mean, Americans like to buy stuff. So sure, why not? Um, I think the proximity to the holiday season is probably better, right? But let me ask you guys this. Does the proximity to Black Friday maybe hurt Prime Day this year? Like, will people be putting off purchases, waiting for a better deal somewhere else? I think it's all a blur. I I think it's going to be the biggest day ever for Amazon selling Amazon devices, as it traditionally has been. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the biggest transaction day for them ever because a lot of people are in uncertain economic situations. Now, that said, I do think holiday spending is going to hit records, but those records aren't going to be as much on the discretionary things we used to buy. There's going to be a lot more laptops, a lot more tablets, a lot more practical gifts. Like, I hate to say, I always joke, it's like Hanukkah. Like one night of Hanukkah, and I'm Jewish, you get like your good present. When I was a little kid, I was really excited. I got the Death Star. Like, and that was a big expensive gift. And it was really crummy compared to today's toys. But then like the next seven nights, like you get like a left mitten, then a right mitten, then a bag of socks. Like that's kind of what this year's Christmas is going to be like, which I think is going to be good for Amazon. It's going to be good for Walmart. It's going to be good for Target. I mentioned Dick's because there's a lot of sports you can play by yourself or or in sort of safe team settings. I think a lot is going to sell there. But Steve, let me ask you, you have a whole bunch of kids. Are you changing your holiday buying patterns? Not really. Um, I mean, my wife already started her Christmas shopping, but I, I feel like she's Christmas shopping year round. She's like, I'm going to get this and give it to her on Christmas. I'm like, it's like five months to go. Like, what are you doing? But uh, we try not to get too crazy, though. Um, sometimes it ends up feeling that way because we've been shopping for so long. But you know, we'll get some good gifts for the kids, small gifts for close relatives, and we spread it out. Um, we're usually done far in advance, though. Uh, so I guess that the big sales don't really affect us in that sense. So I kind of appreciate some of these earlier uh, sales because it helps us save a little bit of money we might otherwise have spent anyway. So, um, you know, of course, we like to support local retailers and the little guy, but we do a ton of shopping at Amazon, Target, Costco, um, really comes down to who has what we need. And, uh, and if it comes to competing between the big boys and who has what we need for the lowest price and getting it here on time, uh, well, we'll end up going with the big boys. But I, I must say time is an increasing factor. We actually just bought a couch, um, well, over a month ago now at Costco. Um, we ordered it online. And, oh, uh, that's, a, that's a risky move, buying a oh. couch, a couch <laughs> you never sat on? Like, how it did was, that work out? Well, it was, it's hard. But it, you know, it's, it, we ordered it online, and it's supposed to arrive. But they say within three to six weeks, and it's been about five now. And and, uh, you know, we're sitting here tapping our toes, waiting for the logistics people to call us and tell us it's ready to be scheduled. But, um, you know, it's a big item, but it's still maddening and frustrating waiting like this. And it honestly pushes me toward fast, organized logistics leaders like Amazon, where I've had a consistently reliable shipping experience. And and uh, I think that's becoming a much bigger deal as more yeah. e-commerce uh, kind of takes care. I have very bad news for you. They use XBO Logistics. Mm. XBO Logistics was behind my refrigerator that supposedly was delivered and wasn't. And then eventually, 
uh, you know, eventually they called to say it was it was back ordered and was never coming. And then an hour later, they called to say it was being delivered. I had to make 24 phone calls in order to actually get my <laughs> item delivered. And it was very, very unpleasant. I will never buy from Home Depot, Lowe's or Costco via that type of delivery again. I will buy from Amazon. I will find somebody. I don't know who Best Buy uses, but a third party logistics company, I simply won't deal with. Uh, I know in my family, my son, I'll, he'll tell me what he wants. Everyone else is getting cash. My wife and I have just given up. Uh, she got me a <laughs> gift card for, for, for our anniversary slash my birthday. I did the same for her. Max, how are you going to handle gifts this year? Oh, well, this year I just have to focus on spoiling my niece and nephew. So dinosaurs and construction vehicles, you know, Uncle Max to the rescue. From an investing point of view, the winners are going to win. This is going to be a Best Buy, Walmart, Amazon target year. There'll be some surprises, but it won't be Macy's. <laughs> that's that's the one thing I can say. Like, if you didn't pivot your merchandise, you are probably not going to do very well. A lot of specialty retailers are going to struggle. Guys, let's move to what we're watching. Max, you brought one up. Like, so you brought this story up, and I literally had to like look up half the words. Uh, but so. <laughs> There have been some issues with two major cell therapy drug candidates uh, where they're, they're close to, to being ready for approval, but the FDA has, has put some roadblocks up. You want to explain a little bit, Max? Yeah. So in the last month, the FDA has delayed two different cell therapy candidates that were nearing the finish line. So the first was the lead drug candidate from a company called Mesoblast. It was uh, thought to be a slam dunk approval. An advisory committee voted nine to one in favor of approving it, but the FDA took issue with a specific part of the application. Then the other company was Iovance Biotherapeutics. The company hasn't formally submitted its application yet. It was for advanced melanoma, also widely considered to earn approval eventually. But uh, the company told investors for a pretty long time, "Hey, expect you know end of 2021 or 2020 rather, uh, we'll be submitting this application." But recently, it told investors, "Hey, the FDA and we are going back and forth on this one issue," and uh, so now that's been kicked back to 2021. So these are two different companies, two different cell types, but each time the FDA took issue with something called potency assays. So a potency assay is used in all drug development, right? Uh, but it's pretty simple when you have something like aspirin, right? Um, so a potency assay is used to standardize dosing of a therapeutic agent. So if you have 10 molecules of aspirin, they're all the same. They're all identical. It's aspirin. But if you have something that's a cell therapy where the living, you know, the therapeutic agent is a living thing, then it's, it's growing, it's dividing, it has its own genetic code. So it's way, there's way more variables involved to uh, standardize dosing. So the FDA, for these first two companies that are really, you know, pioneering cell therapies that are uh, among the first to get over, you know, to late stage trials, uh, this is kind of a warning sign initially for the rest of the field. Um, so so, so yeah. let me jump in. Is this just the FDA being cautious or is it are, are there some red flags here with these potential drugs? I don't think there's red flags necessarily in like safety or efficacy, but so if you have, you know, 10 molecules of aspirin, they're all the same. If you have 10 cells of something that you're calling a cell therapy, well, you might have different subsets of cells within that, right? Different populations of cells. They might be expressing different things on the surface and that could affect their, you know, what they do within the body. So there's a lot more variables. Uh, I think this is the FDA being, more cautious, especially because it's so new and they really want to nail it down. But this is an example of, you know, the complexity of biology and it's very difficult to standardize right now. 
So this is kind of a, uh, you know, a, a message to the industry that, hey, you guys need to start to think about this, find ways to standardize your processes and maybe, you know, develop these uh, potency assays either with external partners or in-house. But, um, you know, we need to figure this out because there's over 250 clinical trials underway right now uh, for cell therapies. So the FDA can't hold all of them up, right? Um, so the industry and the FDA really have to figure this out. So this is something that investors want to watch for the whole field going forward. So Max, quickly, as an investor, is this a sit and wait situation or or are there some, you know, some companies you should be looking at? Yeah, so for these two companies specifically, uh, Mesoblast is requested a type A meeting with the FDA. So that could be granted within the next 30 days if it's granted at all. Uh, so that would be early November, and the investors will know if the company has to run another clinical trial, which could push back, you know, to 2021 or 2022 for approval, um, or maybe it can run a smaller trial and maybe squeak it in in 2021. For Iovance Biotherapeutics, um, the company said it's just going to update investors uh, probably for the next earnings call, which is also early November. So two things to watch there for these two companies specifically, and then for the broader field. Um, you know, this might signal an opportunity for investors. Maybe there are some companies that provide solutions for potency assays, maybe single cell analysis, uh, companies that really standardize, you know, the freeze thaw process logistics of how you ship cell therapies, which also affects the potency assays and what you're going to get in the end. Um, so different opportunities could be opening up early on in this field for investors. So seven investors, if you're watching this and you're having a little trouble following along, which I am too, this is complicated stuff. Remember that Max writes about this at our website on seveninvesting.com. So if you become a member, not only do you get our picks each month, seven picks each month, uh, you get our analysis, some of our ongoing explanation of how this stuff works. You get access to Max. We're going to have private meetings like this where you can ask us questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter. And as a member, we're going to know who you are. We're going to answer. We're probably going to answer anyway, frankly. Uh, we're pretty accessible guys. But you get all sorts of special access if you join us at 7investing.com. Steve, let's talk about something I understand a little bit better. <laughs> Tuesday is the big Apple event. Um, Guys, I think we should live tweet this. I'll make this call right here. We should live tweet the Apple event. Uh, but that said, Steve, what are they expected to announce? Is uh, are they are they killing Apple TV Plus finally, which is a ridiculous waste of money? No, that's not what's happening. Steve, what yeah. is happening? So funny, uh, King Kang in the comments said he thinks Apple fi Apple's five G event is a non-event, and there's an argument to be made for that. But I'm going to be watching it closely because I think there's opportunities that might arise from it. So this should be a really interesting event. Um, it's it's. Uh, T tomorrow, I think, uh, 10 a.m. Pacific time. And, uh, you know, if you're watching this live stream later, that's October 13th, uh, Tuesday. I think investors would do well to pay close attention to what Apple says, just in case uh, most supply chain rumblings indicate that Apple plans to unveil four new iPhone models tomorrow. So uh, that includes two lower cost affordable models with smaller screens to higher end pro models. But what I'm really interested in seeing is the components and overall desirability of this new lineup. So apparently all four devices, for example, might feature edge to edge displays, which could be great news for indirect suppliers like uh, Universal Display. That's an OLED specialist. Uh, Apple's tagline for the event is also high speed, which alludes to that 5G expectation. Uh, this likely means they're going to play up their 5G technology. That's good news for modem suppliers like Qualcomm, but also for wireless providers like Verizon that have been pouring resources into their 5G networks to attempt to really differentiate themselves. And um, yeah, Steve, let, let, let me interject here. Sure. Are we, 
I, I'm excited about 5G. I always buy the new iPhone. But yeah. The 5G network is more mm-hmm. theoretical than real now. Are are people going to be driven to buy a phone when most of the country does not have 5G access? Uh, maybe. It's going to be a bigger deal down the road. So uh, I, I think what we see from a supplier standpoint is just the fact that these 5G this 5G hardware is going to be included uh, standard anymore. And 5G, for those of you, you know, I, I have people ask me all the time, what's 5G? And really, it just stands for fifth generation. It's it's not, you know, there's no real specific, you know, 5G can be kind of different depending on your provider. So it's just incremental updates to the networks that should make it significantly faster. So we'll see, you know, if the new phones and their respective features are impressive enough and enticing enough to consumers, this could end up potentially spurring another upgrade super cycle, so to speak, uh, the likes of which we really haven't seen since the iPhone 6 was launched back in 2014. I think they saw uh, it was over 230 million new phones sold over the fall four quarters because people just decided, all right, now's the time. New line of iPhones that are relatively intriguing. I'm going to go ahead and upgrade now. So uh, that's good news, of course, for Apple and its growing ecosystem. Um, but really, uh, the other thing I want to watch before we move on from this is their one more thing. Uh, where their presentation seems to be over and uh, management or whoever's presenting surprises everybody uh, with, you know, I say surprise. Yeah, and, 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 and let me jump in. Th- this is as surprising as like <laughs> when the band leaves and then you have right. to applaud so they come back. Like, <laughs> yeah. we, we know this is going to happen. It's not that big a surprise anymore. Yeah, and if it doesn't happen, that's maybe the risk where everyone's kind of like underwhelmed by this. Uh, but there one more thing at the very end. You know, if you look at past events, they use the one more thing shtick to announce several, you know, now massive product lines that ranges from the Apple Watch was a one more thing, Apple Music, Apple TV, even FaceTime was a one more thing. So uh, this year I've seen speculation that that could be a new set of wireless headphones, maybe augmented reality glasses. Uh, there's rumor of an air tags device you can attach to stuff to keep from losing it um but really you know we obviously just need to wait one more day to see uh what they're going to say but the implications of what they announced tomorrow could be uh could bring with it ripple effects that spread far and wide so i think we should watch and uh, see what they say yeah i think this is the beginning of a major cycle for apple except that said i think the one more thing is very likely to be a new home pod at $99 and i gotta right. be honest i don't care I, I already have an Amazon Echo. I have the Google device. It's not even plugged in. I'm not sure three years too late I need Apple's take. But let's seg a little bit over to retail. Uh, and we're going to talk about my story. Dollar General is opening new stores targeting wealthy shoppers. This came out of nowhere, and I actually think it's a pretty good idea. It's launching its first two pop shelf. That's the name of the co- of the, uh, the new store in Nashville in the coming weeks. And it plans to open about 30 by the end of next year. That sa- sounds fast, but this is a company that opens about 1,000 stores a year. The new stores are going to feature a range of home and beauty goods, the majority of which will be priced around $5. Uh, they're going to be targeting women in suburban areas that earn between $50,000 and $125,000 a year. This is definitely not the typical Dollar General audience. Uh, each store is going to be about 9,000 square feet. That's a little bit bigger than the typical store. And this really takes a chain that was already expanding quickly and gives it an awful lot of optionality. Steve, I'm excited about this idea. Well, is there anything that worries you about it, though? Yeah, so... Have you been in a Dollar General anytime recently, Steve? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so I have. I, there's one near our, our, our place in Davenport, our, our, our uh, Disney vacation-ish place. So the problem there is 
there's there's only one person working most of the time. The stores are very disorganized. They're, they could be messy if they were crowds beforehand. Uh, they're, they're, you know, obviously now there aren't crowds anywhere, but I worry about that for Pop Shelf. If they're going to appeal to sort of like the TJ Maxx, Marshall's home goods crowd, the mm. stores need to be, they could be Spartan, but they need to be really well done. When you watch, walk into a home goods, it's a little bit crazy, but everything's on the shelf. Nothing is, is in disarray. And it's a store where people are touching and they're moving things around. I worry about their ability to do that. That said, I always liked this company. I, I think they're really, really smart about knowing where to put their stores and really understanding their audience. It might take them a while with Pop Shelf, but I think they're going to get it right. Right? And this can be, I think, another, you know, 5,000 stores for them. And they've shown they can scale. It's also a really, really good time to be renting retail space. You may not have noticed, but there's a lot of vacant retail space. Guys, we're going to play true or false. I wrote five different statements. And I'm going to share them with you. Steve, you're going to go first. And then Max, you'll go second. We'll switch it up after. Uh, and you're <laughs> going to tell me whether this statement is true or false. Take about 30 seconds to a minute. Yeah. Statement number one. There will permanently be less business travel, even post-pandemic. Steve, your thoughts here? Uh, true-ish. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 think, I think that's a, a mostly true statement. I, I think we're, you know, we touched on this during our, our last show, um, but I do think that we're going to have significantly less business travel as we realize, you know, it's, it's sort of like that long-running joke, like, oh, this could have been an email. You know, when you go into a conference thing, how many things could be a Zoom meeting uh, that you could have could have done instead of, of traveling? Um, in some cases, it's going to be necessary. But I think we've realized that a, a lot more can be done remotely and save the cash of travel. Max, your thoughts here? I'm going to go with false. I think it's going to be there's going to be more travel post pandemic. And Ooh. I think so. With more people working from home and working remotely, you have like people moving out of tech hubs, right? So if you're living in, you know, you can live wherever you want now. You don't have to live in the Bay Area, or New York, or some high cost of living city. I think that's going to make people travel more because you want to get out, right? I mean, I've worked from home my whole life and I always want to like go to a conference or travel somewhere and go somewhere. So I think it's actually going to cause more travel in the end. And people are, isn't everybody going a little stir crazy? You know, does everybody want to get out? Yeah, I, I live I, in Montana. I'm always still crazy. <laughs> I, I lean towards Max a little bit. I, I sort of believe it's going to change. I don't think we're going to have the one-day meeting flights anymore. I think unless it's a really big deal, we're not going to hop on a plane. Like my brother will like hop on a plane and fly from New York to the United Arab Emirates, but he might be closing a $40 million deal or a $100 million deal. I think the average person who just wanted to be in person for a meeting isn't going to do that. That said, I think there is going to be a hunger for conferences and other things like that. So I can't wait to travel. Uh, I've canceled so many trips. It's absolutely depressing. <laughs> Statement number two, 5G will be disruptive to traditional internet service providers within five years. Max, you can go first. Within five years, false. I think, so like you're going to get internet over 5G, you mean? Yeah, like at home, instead of uh, you know having an internet provider, you're going to just use your phone. I think it could eventually, but I don't know within five years. There's Doesn't 5G have a problem penetrating walls and so I think it's going to have a hard time, you know, in the home in that instance. You need more uh, repeaters and cell towers to get through the walls. It's possible. Um, it's not going to be there quickly. Steve, your thoughts on this one? 
Yeah, I'm going to say false too. I think within five years, you know, maybe as the technology kind of improves and we build out those towers and, you know, which is, you know, benefits a company like American Tower, for example. But um, yeah, I, I can't see, I think traditional service providers are going to be fine. And uh, I think that consumers thirst for data hungry applications uh, will overcome uh, even what 5G can offer. And you're going to see a shift to higher speed options like fiber, uh, things that can actually keep up with uh, that thirst for data and the the amount of data growth. Uh, yeah. I think I, I just switched to fiber and it's amazing. I'm getting like 10x the speeds, you get the same upload and download speeds. I mean, it's hard to compete with that. Yeah. So guys, I'm, I'm actually going to say it's true. And here's why I think it's true. So I have a 16-year-old. Five years from now, he'll be 21. Let's assume he's in college or living somewhere on his own. He does everything on his phone anyway. He has a TV in his room. And aside from Xbox, uh, he doesn't generally use his TV. If he can play Xbox over a 5G connection, and that's debatable, mm-hmm. I think it's possible he'll do it. But if you're not a gamer... And you're that generation. You're used to the iPhone, iPad. So while I don't think it's going to be widespread and households aren't going to have it, I do mm-hmm. think college campuses are going to stop. You're, you're not going to need as many wired connections. You're not going to need as much. So do I think it's going to be like cord cutting where it uh, starts slowly and, and snowballs? I kind of do. I think there's going to be a generation that has less need. And I agree. When we have VR and holograms and refrigerators that can make us coffee or whatever, like like we're going to need more internet. And that might keep pace with the ISP. But I bet you see a meaningful erosion five years from now. That might be 5% down. Doesn't have to be 50% down. Statement three, the results of the presidential election will have a major impact on the stock market. We get asked this question a Hmm. lot. Uh, And seven investors, feel free to share your comments. Uh, I can only see some of them, but we will do our best. Steve, you can weigh in here first. Oh, boy. Um, This this is a loaded question, but I'm going to say false after the near-term blip. Uh, I think, you know, depending on, you know, there could be a a kind of knee-jerk reaction to the election, but, uh, you know, I've seen, I I think in my view, whether, you know, Biden or Trump are elected, um, it won't be as disruptive as people think it will be. Uh, I've seen, you know, a lot of economists, for example, come out, there's a report on sort of the consensus among economists saying like, well, if Biden's elected, it'll be kind of a neutral to net positive for the stock market. And I've I've had people say the same thing about uh, Trump, but I don't think, um, I don't think the market will be significantly impacted uh, depending on who's elected uh, going forward. Max, your thoughts here. Uh, I agree with Steve. This is, this is an unfair question. No, um, (laughs) I'm going to go with probably not. I think Wall Street's going to make an excuse no matter who wins for what they do, right? So <laughs> it doesn't really matter. But um, I think one thing to watch, though, I remember seeing a Goldman Sachs report that if uh, corporate tax rates get you know bumped up somewhere to where they used to be, yeah. Yeah, that could affect S&P earnings by about like 12%, 15%. So that could be a headwind in a way. Although I was talking to Simon about this. And he said, hey, all the companies driving up the stock market aren't profitable anyway, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) If if you don't have profits, your taxes can't go up. I was going to say, yeah, Yeah. I think this is a (laughs) non-story. I I actually think even if there's, you know, Biden wins and there's full Democratic control of the House and Senate, I think they're going to tread carefully. You're going to see some tax increases on on wealthy people. You're going to see some more effort to collect from companies, but you're not going to see these massive rollbacks because, you know, frankly, companies will leave. Like they'll just go, they'll just go manufacture things other places. 
Number four, more than 50% of cars in the U.S. will be electric by 2030. Max, your thoughts here? I think that's false because, all right, so the average age of a car in the United States is 12 years uh, as of 2019. So it takes time to turn over the fleet and it will not happen by 2030. However, I will say that I think electric vehicles will become much more popular and gain more traction than any projections currently estimate. So it's electric vehicles will, uh, you know, be pretty popular pretty fast, but I don't think 50% by 2030 is feasible barring some crazy, you know, tax credit or, or something like that. I own an electric scooter and an electric bike. I've never been on either one of them. Steve, your thoughts? <laughs> uh, I'll agree with Max. I want to say it's false, but had you said 2035 or maybe 2040, uh, I might say true. Uh, that might shift that. But I think it's it's going to transition really quickly, but we're going to have a lot of vehicles that need to leave the road uh, for that to hit the 50% mark. Where are we now? Do we know yet? Now, it's, now I've got homework to do, but it's yeah, like, it's, it's, it's very small, right? Yeah. It's like three, 4%, 2% so in the U S anyway. Yeah. yeah but I, I think it'll accelerate really quickly and uh, you give it a little more time. Uh, 50% of the cars in the U S will be electric eventually, but maybe not by 2030. Yeah. There's also a big infrastructure problem. I live in a building and my building is talking about adding some charging stations, but yeah. I can't even figure out what that would look like. Would I have to like go charge and then immediately move my car? Like the way some of our public garages have that there are charging stations by my whole foods in theory, I could charge and go and go shop. But what if I'm already charged yeah. and the next guy in line and I'm not there like it, the system isn't there yet, but I, I do think we're going to get there. Here's the final one, and it is a silly one, but you know, if you're an investor in, in, in Boston beer, in Constellation Beverages, there's a lot of plays in this space. Uh, you know, Anheuser-Busch, there are a million companies in this. There's, I believe, 68 hard seltzers as we tee up the next one. Hard seltzer is here to stay and not a fad. Steve, you're a beer guy. What's your thought here? True. I, I think it's here to stay. I don't think it's a fad. Um, I was tweeting about this a uh, uh, a few weeks ago, actually. And, and that's been one of the big things that that's propped up Boston beer and that for people unfamiliar, their tickers, SAM, Sam, their Samuel Adams is their flagship brand. And they've really struggled to prop up uh, sales of their flagship Samuel Adams brands. But um, they also own the truly spiked and sparkling brands. And that's really, really helped them uh, through this. And I think it is here to stay. And uh, part of the reason for that is that the target demographics for these seltzers are uh, kind of these younger millennials with some money to spend. They, they tend to spend, I think it was like twice as much uh, on the hard seltzers and uh, really sort of the shift um, toward it. I don't think beer is going anywhere, but uh, I, I do think it hard seltzers are going to stick around. Uh, and it, it's sort of this natural evolution of, of preferences. So it's not going anywhere anytime soon anyway. I'm drinking regular seltzer in my seven investing mug. Max, your thoughts here? Prove it. Um, <laughs> I think I think true as well. Um, like like Steve said, um, the demographics. You know, it's targeting a younger population. And I live here in Pittsburgh. We have a million breweries. You know, local breweries, micro crafts, all that, and um, all of them. It seems have some type of seltzer now. Uh, so you know, I think it's it's not a fad. I think it's going to stay. What amazes me is, so I've been trying different regular seltzers. Like my office, uh, the person who stocks the fridge and cans are free. So 
it's sometimes it's it's uh, the Kirkland brand, which is Costco. Sometimes it's it's uh, you know Lacroix. Sometimes it's other things. At home, I bought the Perrier brand uh, in the skinny cans, which are I, I actually like those because they're a little less carbonated. I know that sounds silly with seltzer, but I don't taste all that much of it, and I can't imagine with hard seltzer that it's all that different. So, uh, guys, now it's time. It's the end of the show. It's time to hit our finisher. Post-pandemic, which leisure, op- leisure option is first on your list? And I'm going to ask our producer, uh, Sam Bailey, who is uh, also our director of marketing. She's behind the glass. Uh, there is no glass, but she is running the show. I'm going to ask her to join us here and weigh in on this. So, Sam, feel free to say hello if, uh, if you're here. Hey, hopefully, Sam will join us momentarily. Oh, there she hello. is. Here she comes. We are still working out the technology. Hey, Sam. So I'm going to ask you first. Post-pandemic, which leisure option is on your list? And feel free to share the graphic so people can see how people voted. Uh, and, and that is live sporting event. That won with 43.3%. Concert with 25.5%. Theme park with 18.4%. And cruise with 12.7%. Uh, likely that'll be the first thing I'll be doing. But uh, Sam, what's the first thing you're going to be doing? Can I pick two? You can. Well, I guess the first one I would do is a live sporting event. My husband and I haven't seen a movie in a theater in 10 years, but we see a lot of Astros and a lot of Texans games. We're very disappointed in the, of the time in our household. But Cruise is a close second. We have two cruises. We have two young kids that love the kids club. You know, we, and we don't have a lot of family around that helps us. So we love the cruises because we can go and have a drink and Ella has a ball in the kids club and doesn't want to leave. It's a win-win. That that is kind of how it works for me. We've talked about this, but my wife does not like to cruise, and, I, and you're welcome to take the graphic down. We can uh, go back to our faces. My wife does not like to cru- take a cruise, but I do bring my son along sometimes, or I'm happy to go alone. It is a very enjoyable experience. I've actually lost the taste for live sports. My brother, when he was the uh, chief business officer for the Miami Dolphins, I had to go to every Dolphins game. And honestly, I'm not a Dolphins fan, so that wasn't great, but it was it's a better experience to watch football at home. I know that's not always true with college. I'm not against going to live sports. I certainly can't wait to go see a Rangers game, uh, but they're not going to start their season until well into next year. Hopefully Steve, what are your thoughts here? Live sporting event. I didn't even have to hesitate there. Uh, (laughs) I mentioned last week, we've got this crazy stadium here uh, in Missoula, Montana that holds half the town, like literally half the, the city's population can fit in the stadium. And uh, it's it's a fantastic experience, and I, I miss that so much. You know, Montana Grizzlies games, but um, I we've had a couple concerts that are delayed. Um, don't you know? We all go to theme parks maybe once or twice a year, and I've never been on a cruise. But uh, I can't wait for live sporting events to come back. The tailgating, the the everything, uh, college football experience. I've been going to theme parks all throughout, so uh, I can't really say it's something I'll go back to. It's something that as soon as they reopen, and Disney's done a great job. Haven't been to Universal yet, but probably will get back there soon. Max, your thoughts here? Well, I live in Pittsburgh, so it's going to have to be live sporting events, right? Um, I mean, Pirates, you know, you can discount them. It's never fun to go to those games. Uh, (laughs) I agree with you on football, actually. It's more fun to watch those at home. But, man, Penguins hockey or playoff hockey, I mean, it's fun to be in that arena. Yeah, uh, there, there's nothing better than, than playoff hockey. There's nothing better as a live experience, in my opinion, than hockey in general. I Yeah, I agree. I've got into it in the last, you know, I didn't grow up watching it. I was mostly just baseball, football. But, yeah, recently it's hard to argue. Right? We've got Crosby, Malkin, Penguins are good. Good to watch. 
Guys, and with that, we close the Monday, October 12th edition of 7 Investing Now. Thank you for watching. And remember that replays can be found on the 7 Investing YouTube page and by following at 7 Investing on Twitter. That's the number 7 Investing on Twitter. We will see you Wednesday at noon. Thank you. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. And before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult with a financial or tax professional.